We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. Uh, If you'll open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 6, I think think we're starting in 16, right, today? Yeah. Oh, 17, sorry. All right, Luke 5, starting in verse 17, we'll go uh, through... Verse 26 this morning. So as you're turning there, uh, if you've ever spoken in public before, uh, or if you speak in public regularly, uh, you tend to get some interesting interruptions. Okay? Uh, yeah, some of you are chuckling because maybe, maybe you've been the interesting interruption before. Um, uh, that's okay. No worries. I, I'm, I'm not easily distracted. It takes quite a bit to get me thrown off, Okay. Um, you know, the, the only time that I've actually been distracted, you know, you, you, you typically get like, you know, cell phones that go off and, and, you know, babies crying and cell phones go off and babies cry. It's okay. You know, it happens. Um, and, and then you get people moving to go to the bathroom. We've got a really interesting sanctuary situation, right? Where the, the only way to the bathrooms is actually to walk past the pastor as he's preaching. And I just made several of you really insecure because you do that sometimes. Okay. It's okay. It's all, it's all right. You can go to the bathroom. It's no big deal. Okay. Um, it doesn't distract me, I promise. The only time I've ever been distracted uh, was, was this one Sunday where, uh, you know, we, we had like three kids screaming bloody murder because things in life were just not going well that day. It was, it was a bad morning. And, and then I saw, you know, that didn't bother me. Like people were going to the bathroom. Kids were screaming bloody murder. And, and then... I realized that people were not getting up to go to the bathroom. They were getting up to go put out fires on the sides of the sanctuary because we had candles that were smoking. And, and so I have people getting up to put fires out. And okay, all right, now, now I'm distracted, okay. Uh, you know, uh, because the building's burning down, you know? And so, you know, what, what, what's the strangest interruption you've ever experienced when you were speaking or seen when someone else was speaking? I, I, I'm sure if we think back, all of us have, have had some really interesting interruptions. Uh, my, my predecessor, uh, he, had, he had some encounters with wasps while he was preaching. Uh, maybe some of you remember this. And, and I think one time, if I'm remembering it rightly, you know, maybe I've just like, you know, made it a more extravagant story in my head. But I think, if I'm remembering, remembering this rightly, he timed it where he squashed a wasp at the exact right moment with what he was saying, you know? It was like crushing the devil type moment, you know? And, and so we have these interesting interruptions, right? I mean, Brittany, when she was a kid, her, one, of, one of her pastors that she had was a spitter. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like umbrella required raincoat optional type situation, Okay. And, uh, and so, you know, he, he wasn't that bad. I'm, I'm kidding. But, but, but he would spit a lot when he preached. And, and so one day, there was this group in the church. They got all these umbrellas, and they sat on the front row. And the first time that he spit, they all in unison opened their umbrellas. That would get me, okay? You know, 
that would get me. Okay. Um, and then, I, you know, I've heard horror stories of, like, demon-possessed guys running down the aisle while you're preaching. And then, and then I even heard this pastor tell a story one time where this guy got saved at, towards the end of his sermon. He was preaching. And as he's praying at the end, this guy's running down the aisle with a gun. A gun that he had meant to take and hurt someone after the service. And he got saved during the sermon, runs down the aisle, and before any of the ushers or security team can, can notice what's happening, he gets down there to the front, and he throws the gun on the pulpit. Man, what an interruption, right? I mean, I'd be a little frightened initially, but then, you know, what, what, a, what a reason to praise God, right? You see, there, there's all sorts of strange interruptions that we can have. And today, we're going to look at what had to be one of the most interesting interruptions in one of Jesus' sermons, where some guys bring a friend of theirs who's paralyzed, and they climb up on the roof because the house is packed, and they can't get in to get a good seat. And so they know their buddy needs the best seat, and so they climb up on the roof, and they take the roof off in the middle of his sermon. You ready? So let's look at this passage together as we see what Luke would have us to learn about Jesus from it. Starting in Luke 5, starting in verse 17, here's what Luke writes. On one of those days, as he was teaching, see, he's preaching and teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal and so let's pause there for just a minute so, so I can kind of set the context here. So Jesus is teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law, these were the re religious elite of the day. They were, they were, the, they were the holy people, right? So, so, so they, they, they kind of had their act together. They, they knew the Bible well. You know, the, the teachers of the law, you're going to hear them called later in the passage scribes. So, so these were men amongst this religious elite who were the elite of the elite, they, they knew the scriptures. They taught the scriptures on a regular basis. And so they're hearing about this man who's going throughout Galilee, and he is teaching God's word in, in a way that disrupts some things. He, he's, he's teaching God's word in the synagogues, and he's healing people left and right. And they've heard about this, and so they're coming to see from everywhere if this is true. They're coming to see if what they've heard is actually happening. They're coming to see what this guy is all about. Because honestly, it, it, Jesus is beginning to kind of threaten their ministries. You know? So they, they got to go see what's, what's happening here, where all their people are flocking to. Okay? And so they're coming on the scene, and they're hearing Jesus teach. And I don't think that these guys have actually seen Jesus heal anyone yet. Do you notice that? that? It says, on one of those days, as he was teaching, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and, and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So Jesus has just been teaching at this point. He hasn't, I don't think they've seen anybody get healed yet. So, so in their minds, maybe for some of them, this is still kind of rumors and conjecture. Okay? And so they're just there to see what's happening. I feel a little threatened by it, and they're, they're there to see what's going to happen. Verse 18, it says, and, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. So now they're saying, okay, is this, is this going to be legit? Okay. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, 
They went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Can you imagine this? Like your buddy's paralyzed and you hear about this great teacher and healer who's going throughout the countryside and he's, he's teaching God's word in a way you've never heard before and he's healing people. And, and, and you've got this buddy who, who can't walk. And, and, and so you take him to see Jesus and when you get there, you can't get to him. The crowd is so large, it's filled the house and it's overflowing and, and you can't get anywhere near Jesus but your buddy needs him. And you can't get to him. And, and so you got to imagine, the, these. we read there's four of these guys in Mark's gospel. you got to imagine that, that they started brainstorming. They're like, well, well maybe if we just kind of throw him over. And the other guy's like, no, that's not going to work. He's already, you know, he's already got some issues with his legs. That's just not going to play out well. And, 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 then, and, then, and then the other guy's well, like, maybe if we just kind of shove our way through. And he's like, do you see how many people there are? Like, we're going to create a mob. This is not going to go well either. And then one of the guys is like, what about the roof? And the other guys are like, are you crazy? And he's like, no, listen, listen, listen. If we go up on the roof, like, like we can go around the crowd. And then we can climb on the roof. And, and the roof's not, it's, it's not... The roofs in the ancient world weren't like made of metal or, or, or any kind of like solid substance, okay? They, they, they were made of the, these tiles that were, that were filled with dirt and, and things that, and, that you could take off. And so they say, it's like, it's, like, it's like there's this hole up there just waiting for us to lower our, our buddy down. So they're like, oh, yeah. And so they climb up on the roof. And as Jesus is teaching and preaching to a crowd of people, Dirt starts to fall on their heads. And, and, and Jesus, you know, probably isn't even phased by it because he's God and so he knows what's happening. But everybody else is just like looking and he's like, they're like, Jesus, do you see that? And, and so they, they lift the tiles off and they lower their friend down. You see, because finding no way to bring their friend to Jesus, they found a way. Okay. So, so, so I want to ask you, do you do whatever it takes to get to Jesus? Or, or, or is faith in Christ something that you're kind of putting off till later in life? You know, right now, you're just kind of busy. You've got a lot on your plate. Questions of faith and, and like who this Jesus guy is, they, they just, they're not that pressing for you. What's pressing is your bills, What's, what, what's pressing is, is what your wife wants you to do when you get home, your honeydew list. What's, what, what's pressing is all the practices you've got to get your kids to. And see, so we, we become distracted by the things of everyday life, and, and we put faith off as though it's less important. Or do you do whatever it takes to get your loved ones to Jesus? So maybe it's, not, maybe it's not you putting off questions of faith. Maybe you have your own faith. But, but when it comes to those around you that you care about that don't yet believe, do you do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus? Or, or do you just assume that eventually they're going to realize he's real and trust in him? Is that your evangelistic strategy? Eventually they'll get it? I think if we're honest, it's most of our strategies, right? I do this all the time. Like, like I'm, I'm with you in this. This is our temptation. 
when it comes to evangelism, we just we don't really want to do it. You know, we're, we're con- we, we've got faith in Christ, and, and, you know, we hope that our loved ones believe, but, but we don't want to ruffle some feathers, and we, we don't want to cause the, the stir the pot. I mean, we want them to still like us. And so most of us aren't taking the roof off to get our friends and family members to Christ, right? And I, and I think all of us fail in both of these areas, right? We, when it's us and, and questions about our faith, our faith and our walk with Christ, we, we assume that we'll have time to deal with our sin problem later in life. Like, we know we're messed up. We know we've got some problems that, that Jesus can probably sort us out. But, but we think, you know, there's time for that later in life. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun right now. And I'm young. I, I, I can take care of that later. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I'm not young anymore, but there's still time. Okay, I'm, I'm not even in my middle ages anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm getting kind of up there, but, but I've still got a few good years in me. And, and so we wait. We wait to deal with our junk. We wait to pursue Christ, thinking there's always going to be time for it later. And then with, with, with our family and friends, we, we hope that Jesus is eventually going to save them. We, we hope that eventually they're going to come to see who he is and their lives are going to be transformed. But, but we just don't want to go through the awkwardness right now. I mean, it's really awkward, isn't it, to, to go up to somebody that you really care about, that you're close with, and say, hey, you're a sinner, and that means that you're going to spend an eternity in hell apart from God. And I don't know about you, but I love Jesus, and I'm going to go be with him in heaven. That's just an awkward conversation. And and we don't particularly want to have it. At least a lot of the time. Maybe we even kind of fool ourselves into thinking like, yeah, I want to have that conversation, but I just don't have the opportunity. But, But that's just us deceiving ourselves, right? I mean, there are all sorts of reasons that we will come up with that, that keep us from pursuing Jesus, that keep us from, from leading others to Christ. We have all sorts of things that, that we let get in the way. Things like our doubts, our, our time, our fear, our money, our, our pleasures and comforts in life. You see, so, so maybe for you it's doubt. Maybe you've got questions. Questions about, about your own relationship with Christ. You know, you're, you're not really sure all this is... is what people say it is. Or maybe you've got questions that you don't know the answers to, and so you're afraid to tell people about Jesus because you don't know what questions they're going to ask you, and you don't want to be embarrassed when you don't know the answer. Friends, here's the thing about God, though. There are always going to be questions that you don't have the answers to. The, the, the very fact that he is God, that he is infinite, and that we are, are created beings that are finite means that there's always going to be questions that we'll have. We're always going to struggle a little bit with doubt. It doesn't mean we sit in it and we, and we don't work through it, but, but there's always going to be questions we have. There's always going to be questions when we're sharing the gospel with somebody that, that we don't know the answer to. And it's okay to say, I don't know. Let me think some more about that. So are, are your questions keeping you from Christ? Maybe it's not questions for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's time. Like we said, we're all busy. Maybe it's not time. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've got some time on your hands right now, but, but, but fear keeps you 
from pursuing Jesus and leading others to him. You see, we, we let fear get in the way in all sorts of ways in life. Fear, you know, sometimes we're afraid that per, what, what pursuing Christ, what honestly seeking after him, what sort of change that would look like in our life. We're afraid of what Jesus might want to shift and what he might change and how things might look different. We don't want to give up some things, comforts and pleasures. We're pretty content with life. Or maybe it's just that we, we fear the opinions of others. Maybe, maybe it's money. I mean, I mean, here's the thing. Jesus taught on money more than almost anything else he teaches on. Did you know that? All throughout the Gospels, you find Jesus teaching about money. And here's the reason he does it so often. The reason he does it is because he knows it has this grip on us like nothing else. You see, you, you will either live your life serving God or serving the dollar. You will either live your life making disciples or making money. One of these is going to be primary in your heart and life. God or mammon or money. Jesus tells us this repeatedly. And so sometimes our, our pursuit of worldly things just gets in the way. We love other things more than we love Jesus, if we're honest. You see, there's all sorts of things in life that get in the way of us pursuing Christ relentlessly or taking others to him, no matter what the cost or what it takes to get them there. I mean, these guys took a roof off to get their buddy to Jesus. What are you doing? It's a hard question to ask ourselves, isn't it? Because most of the time, the answer is not good. That's me too. I'm, I'm with you in this. Like, we all struggle with this, but, but these guys give us an incredible example. We ought to pursue Jesus like this and, and try to, to, to lead people to Christ with this kind of relentless love and tenacity. All right, let's keep going. So here's the next question I want to ask you. Do you understand what it means to receive forgiveness of sins? Look at what Jesus says, verse 20 and 21. Here we go. And when he saw their faith, talking about the men who lowered their friend into the midst, he said to the paralytic, man, your sins are forgiven you. Wait, hold on. Jesus, this guy's paralyzed. He didn't come asking for forgiveness. He wants to walk. Jesus, you've been healing people all over the place. Why are, you, why are you talking about sins and forgiveness right now? See, these guys lower their friend into this house because they think this guy's going to heal him. And he looks at him. He says, man, your sins are forgiven. It's not what you expect. It's not what you expect Jesus to do in this moment. You expect him to reach out and touch him and, and maybe touch his leg and say, get up and walk. You expect to see this incredible miracle. And Jesus says, man, your sins are forgiven. He starts talking about sin and forgiveness. So here's the thing that we have to notice. Jesus knows that what we need most 
is what only he can do about our sin problem. See, Jesus knows that we need forgiveness more than we need healing. Because here's the deal. When Jesus heals this guy, it's going to be a temporary healing for now, right? All the miracles that Jesus does in the Gospels, when he raises somebody back to life, when he heals a wound, when he rebukes Peter's mom's mother-in-law's fever, all those things are temporary. All those people eventually die again. There's two people in Scripture who, who don't die, who the Lord just takes them to go be with him. Everybody else experiences the consequence of sin in a broken world, which is death. Everybody. Even the people that Jesus healed. It's, it's a temporary thing. You see, Jesus is much, much more concerned with that which is eternal. You see, because if he heals this guy but doesn't forgive his sins, then it's not going to matter in the long game. If he, if he does an incredible miracle, but he doesn't deal with this guy's sin, if he doesn't receive forgiveness, man, then, then he gets to live a few good years and then be separated from God forever. You see, maybe we have to step back and ask, okay, so what is sin? Why is this such a big deal? Why is it such a big deal that when Jesus sees a paralytic man in front of him, his first thought is he needs forgiveness, not healing? And it's not that Jesus doesn't heal. We're going to see that here in just a few minutes. But his first thought is his thought this man's most primary need is not physical but spiritual. You see, sin, what is it and why is it such a big deal? Sin is it's doing what God has forbidden or failing to do what God has commanded. And it's not just in our actions, it's in our words. It's in the thoughts, desires, and intentions of our hearts. It is, it is rebellion against God and his good design and plans for us. It is, it is choosing our desires and our plans and our, our, our wisdom over his. It is choosing to go our own way rather than God's way. And what God says this brings about, it, just from the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, if you go back and read, God told us what would happen. He told us that sin would bring about death, both physical and spiritual death. Meaning, yeah, eventually sin's effects on us, you know, and the world has now fallen and broken, our bodies deteriorate, eventually we die. But even more significantly, there's the spiritual death. Paul, Paul talks about it this way in Ephesians 2. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked as, as sons of disobedience. He's talking about the spiritual death where, where we have been disconnected from God. We have no relationship with him. We're separated from him, and God is the source of life. And so spiritually, being separated from God because of sin means, means we've got a serious problem, and it's an eternal problem, not just a temporary one. And so it's a big deal because it has to do with our relationship with God and eternity. And so, so what's forgiveness then? Forgiveness is, is being cleared of 
our guilt through our faith in Christ and his blood shed for us. Forgiveness is being cleared. It's, it's your debt going away. It's you having no wrong standing before God, but instead, of, instead having Jesus' righteousness. Forgiveness is, is, is all the things that you've done that God for, forbid you to do and all the things that you failed to do that he asked you to do. That whole record, you know, if you were keeping a tally, it's like God just erased the whole thing. And then he put it on Jesus' account. And then what Jesus had, holiness, like we sang about, righteousness, he put it in your account. There was a transfer that was done. I think it was Luther that called it a beautiful exchange. You see, and, and it is beautiful, right? You see, and this is what Jesus does for this man. He sees this paralytic man who's, who's experiencing the effects of sin on a broken world and a broken body. He says, I'm going to give you something even better than legs. I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to give you relationship with God. I'm going to give you eternity. You see, and so, so, so he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. And then look at this. Do, do you know that Jesus perceives the thoughts and intentions of your heart? Look at this, verse 21. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Here's what blasphemy is. It's mocking God. So, so the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of mocking God by forgiving sins. Because only God has the authority to forgive sins. You see, they've heard of prophets being used of God to heal people. They've heard of that before. They, they've heard of God doing incredible things through, through men who serve him. But even then, it was derived authority, derived power, right? It was God working through people. But only God had the authority to forgive sins. You see, there was, there was, a, there was a system in place. A system that these guys, the religious elite, the scribes particularly, they taught the system on a regular basis. Their job was to look at the law and then tell people how to practically obey it in everyday life. Their job was to tell people, okay, what do you do with your sin? How do you be reconciled to God? There was the system in place in which they had to make the proper and appropriate sacrifices. They had to offer sacrifices, and then a priest would, would, would announce if the sacrifice was appropriate that they were forgiven by God because it's God who forgives. Only God can forgive. And the only way to be forgiven is to go to God in the way that he has commanded them. And see, so they accused Jesus of blasphemy because this man didn't, didn't do anything. He didn't offer any sacrifices. He didn't obey the law. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. And Jesus looks at him and he says, man, your sins are forgiven, wiped clean, done away with. And so they think he's a blasphemer because he just said something that only God can say, that only God can do. 
They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? Look at this, verse 22. This is, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Do you know that Jesus perceives your thoughts and intentions at a heart level? He sees what is in you that no one else can see. It ought to frighten us a little bit. As these men aren't speaking out loud with their questions and criticisms and objections, they're thinking it. And Jesus stops what he's doing, looks up at him, and he says, why are you questioning in your heart? See, in that moment, like, all of a sudden, you realize you've got a big problem. Because this teacher just told you what you were thinking before you said a word. You see, in Scripture, only God has this kind of ability and power. Only God can see the heart. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 17. In verses 9 and 10, here's what we read about the heart and God. It says, The heart, talking about the human heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Implying nobody, not one of us. And then God says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You see, God does what no man can do. He sees your heart as it is. Every thought, every intention. Hebrews 4 says it this way about God's word. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. That's the very core of you. You can't go deeper than that. Of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There it is again. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We are naked and exposed before God. There is nothing hidden from him. And see, some of us are terrified right now because we know the things that are in our hearts. We know the things right now that we want. We know the patterns of thought that we have that we haven't told anybody. We know the things that we think and want and desire that are against God and his will. And now we know God sees it. There's nothing that's hidden from him. And so some of us are, are terrified right now. But friends, there's, this is actually good news to you. There was one author, and I'm, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but maybe you can look it up later and find the real thing. There was one author that said, we know love when someone sees the real us and doesn't turn away but turns towards us. You see, the idea that God knows you as you actually are, that there's nothing that's hidden from him, that you can't hide anything from him, yeah, it's terrifying because as we sang earlier, he is holy, holy, holy. He is the Lord God Almighty. 
You see, holiness is kind of a hard word to, de- to define and describe because the only one that it's supremely true of is God himself. So we, so we try to get at it by saying things like purity and devotion to that which is good and right and true. But it's only God is this way all the time, always. And this holy God... Yeah, your sin causes separation between you and him. But the story of scripture is how he wants to pursue you and reconcile you to himself. This is what Jesus came to do, what he came to make possible. This is the whole purpose of his ministry. He's he's headed towards the cross. It is his purpose to die in your place, to shed his blood so that yours wouldn't have to be so that you wouldn't have to pay for your sin, but that he could look at you if you trust in him and say, man, woman, child, your sins are forgiven. This is why he came. He he, he came and he's not afraid of your junk. Instead, he, he, he wants to turn towards you and he wants you to be reconciled to himself. He, he, yes, he sees every thought and intention of your heart, but friends, he wants you. God sent his son to die on a Roman cross, the most shameful death, the death that you and I deserve because of those thoughts and intentions. And he did it out of love because he wants relationship with you. Finally, look with me. Our last question here. Do you believe that Jesus, the Son of Man, is God the Son? So there's two, two, two terms there that I want you to understand that help us understand who Jesus is. Let's, let, let's read the verses first. Verses 23 through 26. Jesus says, which is easier To say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. So so Jesus points out that that, that common sense would say, okay, it's easier to speak some words to somebody and say, okay, you're forgiven, than it is to actually make somebody get up and walk that couldn't before. Okay? He, He says, common sense would tell you this. But they're upset about him speaking Forgiveness, again, because this was something only God could do. And so here's what Jesus does. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. I'll say so. You see, to be healed in this day was to be forgiven your sins. You see, they believed that there was this direct correlation and association between you being a sinner and you experiencing disease. They would have thought that to be healed was for God to have forgiven you. And so Jesus, he says, you guys are questioning in your hearts about all this. So so let me show you that I do have the authority to do this. And so he says to the man, get up and walk. 
And immediately he gets up and he takes his mat, like, and he, he takes this, he takes this thing that that he was confined to, that people had to carry him on, and he picks it up. And he goes home praising God. And the people are amazed because Jesus just proved something about who he is. Jesus just proved that he has the authority to forgive sins. That's why he did it this way. He forgave his sins first, declared that that's what he was doing, and then heals him so that he can show to everybody that he is who he says he is and that he does have the authority to do what only God can do. You see, look with, look with me at this idea of the Son of Man. That's the term Jesus uses to describe himself here. He says the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So this term is used in the Old Testament in a few different ways. It's used, uh, firstly, to des- just to describe human beings. If you go to Psalm chapter 8 or Psalm 144, you'll find it uh, in those passages where it, where it just refers to human beings like you and me. Next, it's used in, in the prophets as God addresses his prophets, his, his, his spokesmen, those who he's going to speak through to his people. He calls them son of man. If you go to Ezekiel 2, 3, and 4, you'll see that there. And as God addresses Ezekiel and tells him to, to go and, and preach to his people his message, he calls Ezekiel son of man. And then look with me at Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 real quick. This is the other place we see this son of man term, this language. And it's talking about an apocalyptic king. Apocalyptic means in, end of times, Right? It means when God is going to restore everything that had gone wrong, when, when it's, it's the end. The, the, the last chapter in the story before eternity. Here's what we're reading, Daniel 7. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Notice what Daniel just said. There's one coming from heaven with the clouds of heaven who is like a son of man. He's like us in his appearance, in, in his essence. He, he, he is like us. He comes to the Ancient of Days, a term to refer to God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. You see, this is something the Messiah would do. The Messiah was going to bring about God's kingdom. And Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. He is one who has come from heaven, who has taken on flesh. He is like us. But friends, what we see here in this passage, even as Jesus uses this term to describe himself, is we see that he's not just the son of man, he is God, the son. You see, Jesus does three things here that only God himself can do, that no prophet can do, that that no one else can do. Like we said, the prophets who, who, who performed miracles, who, who saw these things happen, it was always a derived authority. It was always God's power working through them. But Jesus, when he says, when he says let me prove this to you, that I, can, that I have this authority, 
He says, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. He's talking as himself. He's, there's no derived authority here. This is no mere prophet. This is no mere spokesperson. This is God himself who has come to us. The three things he does here, he forgives sins which only God alone can do. He sees the hearts of men which only God alone can do. And he heals the sick which only God can do. You see, Luke is presenting to us who Jesus is. He wants us to see him clearly. So that like, like, like Theophilus, I mean, he wants Theophilus to, to be certain of the things he's heard. He wants him to know who Jesus is. And the Holy Spirit wants us to know the same thing today. You see, the most important question that you'll ever answer in life, the most important question you'll ever ask, it's not where are you from, it's not who are you going to marry, it's not what are you going to do with your life, like, like what, what career are you going to pursue, what job are you going to do. It's not how much money you've made for your family and descendants. It's not any of these things. Things that are important. But it's not the most important question. You know what the most important question is? This is the question that you have to have an answer to. If you don't have an answer to this question, then you're risking everything. The most important question you'll ever ask and answer is who is Jesus? Who is he? Why does it matter? You see, friends, even if you're a little skeptical about this Christianity thing, you've got to admit that it has impacted the world and history in a way that nothing else ever has. And so the question, who is Jesus of Nazareth? Who is Jesus? Is the most important historical question, the most question worldwide, no matter who you are. It is the most question that you need to be asking yourself right now, sitting in the pew that you're in. Who is Jesus? Because, friends, Jesus is the Son of Man, and Jesus is God the Son. Let's pray. Father God, we are in desperate need of your Son, we're in desperate need of you and, and what only you can do. So God, would you help us? Would you help us to see who you are? Would you help us to see Jesus clearly? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work in our hearts right now. That you would work in the hearts of men and women and children sitting here today. Holy Spirit of God, would you speak life? Would you give understanding? Jesus, would you cause us to turn to you in faith like these men did for their friend? And would you help us to trust you, to trust in you? 
And Jesus, we thank you for what you did on the cross because it means that you look towards us even with the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And if we trust in you, you say, man, your sins are forgiven. Now get up and walk. So we come to you, Lord, in faith, asking that you would continue to work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.